they feel like the darkness retreat, like they integrate while it's happening. They step into new spaces and then there's, there's just this time and this soft container to weave in these new discoveries and new ways of being like, oh, this is now true for me. I had this aha, like we have on plant medicine, but then you have this aha and then you have hour after hour after hour to live it and integrate it and really deepen into that truth and really see everything else within us that tells us that that's not true. Hello and welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and choosing to spend some time with me today. I'm your host, Lana. If you're interested in exploring how modern humans can use psychedelics to engage more deeply with life, you're in the right place. You can expect balanced and grounded conversations around the therapeutic, spiritual, and recreational use of psychedelics. All right, let's journey. Before we get into today's very, very exciting episode and guest, I want to take a moment to tell you all about something very exciting, which is a group program that my friend Jenny and I are launching. You would have heard Jenny in episode 46. So, This course is called Flow Formula, and it's an eight-week group program designed to help you uncover your unique flow formula for really mastering the flow state. This is a multidisciplinary experience where you'll learn how to optimize your microdosing practice so that you can spend more time in the flow state and less time being stuck. This isn't just another how to microdose course, you guys. This is a total lifestyle overhaul program that's going to equip you with all of the tools that you need to become an unstoppable force. There will be modules on microdosing, of course. We have you covered for all of that, but also in identifying and reframing the limiting beliefs that are holding you back. There's going to be modules on nervous system regulation, nutrition optimization, and so much more. So if this sounds exciting to you, join myself, Jenny, and our expert guest teachers to finally get in the flow with your life. In the show notes, you'll find a link to join a free masterclass on February 8th, which will be a nice little teaser to the course. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the flow state and microdosing. So I hope to see you guys there. All right, let's get into the episode. So today, whoa, we are going to be exploring a topic that is on the cutting edge of spirituality and personal growth these days. You may have seen stuff floating around the internet lately about these darkness retreats. So darkness retreats consist of spending three to 10 days in pitch black by oneself. It's a very, very profound experience that I'm looking forward to having one day soon. I am personally feeling very, very called to have this experience. So That's why I wanted to bring this conversation forward to you guys. It has definitely a lot of parallels with taking a psychedelic just without actually taking a psychedelic. So I felt that this conversation really does belong here on the Modern Psychedelics podcast because like I said, it's a very psychedelic experience as you are going to hear about in this interview. And I also just love to share with the audience anything that may help them to improve their lives and whether or not that's taking a substance or not, 
is totally up to you. But I do believe that there's something to be said about experiences that take us to altered states of consciousness. And this is definitely one of them. So it comes as no surprise that darkness therapy or rather going into the darkness is an ancient practice that has been used by ancient indigenous peoples across the globe. It's still done today in different areas, which Scott tells us about. Only recently, though, has it reached North America. And today I have the founder of the first darkness retreat in America. Scott Berman is the creator and founder of Sky Cave Retreats. Throughout the last decade, he has spent over two years in total in self-guided solo retreats in remote wilderness. He knows a thing or two about retreating, especially into the darkness. His fir- He did his first dark retreat in 2012 and has spent over 70 days in multiple darkness retreats and has also done a couple with his wife. He has supported and facilitated over 250 dark retreats at his center in Ashland, Oregon. This conversation is so soothing and refreshing and grounding for the soul. Scott himself is super grounded and humble and just such a delight to talk to. Like he's definitely tapped into something very, very powerful that he shares with us. We talk about concepts and ideas that are actually kind of the opposite of the psychonaut path. We really talk about this idea of less being more. And it's also kind of the opposite of like the spiritual warrior path. You guys know I love to have really balanced conversations on here. And this definitely is going to be a different one. Scott describes that spending time in the darkness is akin to being on your deathbed and losing it all. In a sense, you do because there's truly nothing in the darkness. The insights and lessons that come from this experience are profound and life-changing. He shares so many stories of people who have come through his retreat center. And it really sounds like the darkness is this ego death experience of the of its own where specifically the spiritual ego comes to die. <laughs> so we talk about the similarities and differences between darkness medicine and plant medicine. We talk about endogenous DNT production in the darkness, redefining spirituality, and so much more. This is a very rich and philosophical and heady, depthy conversation that I think you guys are going to love. Let's get into it with Scott. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. Like, I'm selfishly so excited for this episode, but I know the community is also going to love it. So why don't we just start talking a little bit about what the darkness retreats are, what darkness therapy is, what what kind of, what is that? And let mm-hmm. us know like as if as if you're talking to someone who knows very, very little about what it is. Sure. Yeah. So the darkness therapy, darkness retreat is where one goes into a space that is completely dark uh, to the point where your eyes don't adjust to see your hand in front of your face, which is usually when we're in the dark, our eyes adjust. But this is complete darkness. Another aspect which isn't present in dark retreats all over the world, it kind of matters how they're built. But in the ones that we have here, they're built into the hillside and they're soundproof. You might hear five or 10 seconds of sound a day, maybe an airplane once, but, and maybe a squirrel scurrying across the roof. But for the most part, you're completely deprived of sound 
and sight. And it's just not, the darkness is an important aspect of what happens, but there's also the being contained in a space that you don't have to attune to your external environment. And just what happens there where your senses are no longer busy processing all the information, you just, you go inwards immediately. That's, that's all that there is. And there's just a beautiful natural unfolding that happens from that. Now, historically, dark retreats can be seen throughout the world from the Egyptians and the Greeks, uh, the Kogis in Colombia, who the, the mamos go into darkness at birth with their birth mom and the elders. And my understanding is it's not total darkness for seven years. They spend a lot of time in darkness and they spend time under the moon and under the stars, but they don't see the sun for seven years. Uh, and then in Tibetan Buddhism in Dzogchen, darkness retreat is a really big part of that practice for really advanced practitioners. And as they advance on that path, 49 days in the dark is what they do. It, it coincides with the number of days in the bardo that they have between your next birth. So it's been done throughout many cultures and it's having a modern resurgence. And it's really interesting to witness how powerful the, the dark is for people and to see the darkness retreat being done without any cultural overlay, um, where historically it's been done for really advanced practitioners. People go in with their teachers and yeah, now it's having a whole nother, another, uh, iteration. And it's amazing to witness how powerful it is for people and how in the past, people had been preparing for a lifetime for the dark and the way that they oriented in there is just different than what happens now. And our culture is obviously very different and a lot busier than those more connected indigenous cultures. And to just see that it still, it retains its power even without people going in with practice or really much meditation experience. I'd actually say the people who I witnessed to have, the most powerful transformations and awakenings in there are actually people who it doesn't come through their meditation. It's really when they just collapse and rest into being and discover something new that they enter into that space. Beautiful. Thanks for explaining the kind of historical anthropological lineage and how it kind of came to be to what it is today. I'm curious, like, why darkness? What does it have to offer to people? Why would someone, like, I'm sure listeners are listening to this and being like, uh, why would anyone do that? That sounds horrible and terrifying. And oh my gosh, like, why would anyone do that? So in your experience and from your perspective, what is it that people are drawn to about the darkness and what does it have to offer? Yeah, um... I'd say it's, there's so many reasons to go into the darkness and I'm continually learning through everyone who comes because everyone's different. People come with different intentions, desires, expectations, and get different things out of it. I'd say at the core of it, 
is to, to connect with what we are and to know ourselves beyond how we see ourselves through the eyes of others. Because for the majority of us, mostly how we know ourselves is how we're perceived in the world. We're a male or we're a female. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're struggling. We're not struggling. We have money. We don't have money. We're special. We're not special. All the different things, how we decide who we are is through the eyes of our culture and through the eyes of others and how we value how we even feel. Like if we feel sad, sadness is just usually not really welcome in our culture. If you feel sad, you can take some medicine, you can go for a run, do a cold plunge. It's like, let's change that sadness. And now if you enter into a space where you're not getting any feedback from your external environment, actually the, the only feedback that you're getting is however you are is welcome in this space. And people reflect on that a lot when they come out of the dark is that they felt that the darkness was non-judgmental. Everything was welcome. And when everything's welcome, and there's nothing reflecting back to us that we need to change how we are. We actually just start to rest into how we are without trying to change it. And we can begin to see that some of the reasons we may, we may do a lot of the spiritual practices that we do and even the seeking that we do, whether it's through psychedelics or meditation or cold plunge or yoga or chanting or prayer, whatever we do, that at times it has, or can have a subtle underlay of wanting to change the state that we're in. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but just beginning to acknowledge that there is a movement to change how we feel, to ha reach for exalted states, to have ecstatic, blissful experiences. And I love those things. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And there, there is usually within that a, an aversion to a lot of the other things that make up what we are. And so when we enter into the darkness, there is this unfurling, uh, like the subconscious opens up and there's so many things that we see that we weren't able to see before because we were so busy engaged with life. And then when we rest and are in a space where we don't have to attune to anything else. We just open up in a way that uh, is a lot harder to do in our day to day. And in the dark, it just, it just happens. Like you don't, there's no, you don't have to do anything just from simply resting. All the things arise. Wow. That's so, so powerful. And like kind of the total opposite of I'm going to say traditional psychedelics because I'm fully convinced, even though I haven't had a darkness experience, that this is a very psychedelic experience. And I want to get into that later. But I mean, yeah, like where else or when else in life do we really just get to exist and be? Like mm, even when we're meditating, totally. we still have that um, intention to meditate and we are still doing something even if the goal of that doing is being. But it sounds like in the yeah. darkness, you truly get to just be. Mm, That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think that that hits it. Like people still come, they still do their practices. But what happens at a certain point, unless somebody is a really advanced meditator, most people 
don't have the capacity to meditate for 16 hours a day. So they may be able to do their yoga and their chanting and their meditation for maybe three, four, five hours. But at a certain point, they exhaust all the things that they can do. And then there's a real leaning into just being. And the darkness really initiates us into a non-dual reality where there is, it's, there's our thoughts. Outside of that, there's really nothing else going on. There's a bath in there, so you can have a hot bath. And that may occupy someone for an hour. There's some food, but after all of that, there's just being suspended in space. And people come to explore a space where they're not controlling, not even through meditation, which, like you touched on, is a subtle form of control. There is someone doing something whether it's through watching our breath or whatever it may be. And so there is a real initiation into what happens when we totally release control. And there was a woman who was here months ago and who had had severe depression for years. And when she was in the dark, I'll chat with people sometimes through the wall when I go up to bring food. And um, I was asking her what, what it was that was most important to her. And she said it was acceptance. And um, so I came back the next day and asked her how her exploration of acceptance was going. And she said that she was afraid that if she accepted how she felt, that it would never go away. Mm. And in that, I'll circle back to that. In that moment, I, I didn't really relate, or at least I didn't think I did. But then a few weeks later, I was feeling shitty one day and was like, oh, I could just go for a run and jump in some cold water and I'll be just fine. I had thought of her and I was like, actually, I'm just going to lay down and just feel how I feel. And I felt the feeling arise in me that like, God, if I just sit here and feel this, it's not going to change and I'd, I'd like it to go away. Um, I just pushed through that and rested into it. And that was her experience where... I asked her, what if it doesn't go away? What if that feeling never goes away? Do you want to be forever in resistance to it or do you want to allow it? I came back the next day and she had totally broke through and was totally elated. And when she came out, she said she, she just decided to accept it like truly and rest with it and accept that it may never go away. And I see that as a common thread for a lot of people who come, particularly women who have uh, an easier access to uncomfortable emotions um, and more of a willingness to be with them and more of a familiarity with being spacious and nurturing is that the uncomfortable feelings arise, grief and pain and uh, a lot of trauma and they're in a space that feels completely safe, which is another thing that I feel like the darkness offers that we may overlook is that a lot of people come out and say that they realize that they've never really felt safe before. And even if one goes off into the woods and goes camping for a while, there still is a sense within us somewhere of survival. Something could get us. And then we enter into this world in the dark where we actually totally trust our outer environment. 
there's nothing, there's nothing there. So there's nothing not to trust. And the only moment of exchange in the day is somebody coming up to nurture us with food and warmth. If it's cold to make a fire. And so what, what I've seen is when, when people rest into these, the discomfort that arises, they fall into a space that holds it all. They pretty much just mirror the darkness. Wow. Wow. That the the story of the woman and her depression and the acceptance just wow, I got chills when you were explaining that. And I guess to offer a reflection or maybe build on that, you know, I'm a what's called a core energy coach and I work with these seven different levels of energy and what I call level five energy is the energy of acceptance. And it's something that I contemplate a lot um, in my own life. And I help my clients work through and get to places of acceptance. And there's this essence to acceptance that is completely non-judgmental. And it's a very like neutral energy because you're just like your awareness is present to what is without judgment. Like that's what I think true acceptance is. It's There's not like this toleration or justification or resentment, it, it, it just is. And it's neutral and it's just seeing what is. And it sounds like the darkness really allows us to bring our awareness to what is true for us in the moment. Through that awareness, we can actually come to acceptance of it and stop resisting and see that acceptance is actually not that scary. Totally. And, that, and that's something that I've that I hear again and again and again, there was actually a woman that just came out and that's what she said. She's like, it actually isn't that bad. And there's been a lot of women who come out and they're like, it's all okay. And that's something that I hear again and again is that they've come into a space where they realize it's all Mm -hmm. okay because we're in a culture where like you can grieve maybe, but for like an hour, maybe two, and then you got to get your shit together because you got to get, you got to move through this world and you can't walk around crying all the time. And, but people come into the dark and it's like, you can grieve fully in here and collapse and people feel safe enough to be vulnerable in a way that they have never given themselves permission to be vulnerable before, because there's usually a time cap on our vulnerability. And in the dark, even though somebody might be there three or four days and there feels like there's a time cap, the dark feel, it, it feels like an eternity. And so you really open up into a vulnerability, which then just opens us up for all kinds of things to come up and out of us when we, when we really accept and actually experience that nothing's going to change. We're in a world where nothing is going to come make us happy and nothing is going to deliver us from our pain. And that's just an experience that we never have. And, our, and some people will reflect on being bored um, when I come up and I'll ask them what they're waiting for. And then there's an exploration for them to get clear on what they are waiting for and what they want. And for some people, there's been a, a, a few people who have come out a little early, maybe a day or two early from their time in the dark, and they come out so happy because they have a clarity of what they want. 
there was a man who came once. He was going to be in for eight days, and it was after maybe four days. He, he's like, I'm ready to come out. And he came out, and he said, you know what? Like, I come home from work, and I go right into meditating, and like, I hold spirituality is so important, and my spirituality looks like my meditation practice. And he's like, I, I realized it's just not that important to me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just I want to be with my wife and my kids. And I'm so happy. I'm going home and I know what I want. Whereas before it was like I wanted to want spirituality and I thought it was really important. But when I got down to it and I was dead to the world and I'm like, you're pretty much like you're laying on your deathbed in a sense where it's like you've lost everything. Like we've all heard, you know, you don't really know what you have till you lose it. The darkness gives you that experience. Like you get to lose everything and then you just really feel what's most important to you which is the i love the darkness there's no teacher there's no teaching like you get to authentically see what's most important to you and when you connect with that you lean into it as opposed to somebody being like family is really important or you know meditations and impo- all the different things it's like it's a real authentic connection with self. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I have been following the stories and testimonials on your Instagram page for a few months now. I haven't even sat with the darkness yet, but I've been very much, I feel like I've already consumed so much wisdom from it just by hearing from yourself and the incredible people who come to stay at your center. Um, so for those listening, um, check out their Instagram account because when they come out, Scott, I guess, uh, chats with them and films them. And I mean, they all sound like these incredibly wise sages and to, uh, yeah, like what you were just talking about, like the spirituality and the attachment to it, looking a certain way and to us like grasping onto what our spirituality and what our spiritual practices look like. And then coming to this realization of like, wow, that's actually totally not even serving me or what I want. And it's just based on this idea of like what, you know, I learned at a yoga retreat or whatever, right? Like true spirituality is like, it's between you and you and that's it. That's That's it. Yeah. 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 And Amazing. Like, I that's one of the things that being in the vibration of your work and your um, retreat attendees and the I guess the wisdom of the darkness really deeply opened up for me in the past few months since I've been following your work is like, wow, <laughs> mm. none of this stuff is even like. I don't even like it. Like (laughs) I'm 31 years old and my whole life. I've been like trying to force myself to meditate (laughs) and force myself to meditate and force myself to meditate. And it's only very, very recently that I've come to accept that. Like I'm just not someone who enjoys meditating and this constant battle that I have in my mind about how I should be meditating because I'm a spiritual person and spiritual people meditate and like all of the things about how meditation is so good for you, right? Like, okay, great. But I personally get that from like 
dancing on a dance floor with like high vibe people on weekends <laughs> and coming to that place of acceptance and getting so real with myself has been so incredibly liberating mm. like mm. so thank you thank you for that yeah. and thank you darkness I love for that. that like yeah. yeah that's amazing yeah i mean it's it's been a when we first started out i definitely i overlaid my experience onto people who were coming because that's all I knew of like, I know how I orient in the dark and I imagined that this is how one orients. And then through witnessing other people and realizing that that's just not, that's just not where the medicine's at. There's not a cookie cutter path for everyone and everyone's so different. And actually seeing that people who come with a really strong meditation practice, they tend to be more of the men grasp onto that. And it's the thing that like, it kind of keeps them up, like above really dropping into the things that they don't want to see because there's, there's this kind of confidence in knowing, like I know it and I've got it. Mm-hmm. And then if, if that's someone's mentality, there's not really that much of a willingness to drop into like, actually, I don't know. And, you know, all those other things that really inform our behaviors. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And there's, there was a, there was another woman who came out. There's been a few people. There was somebody who was, he was like 25 and he came out of the dark and he was just like, I'm going, I'm going to go move home with my mom. I want to go move in with my mom. Like I realized that like, I've actually pushed my family away because I always felt like they didn't understand me and they weren't getting how spiritual I was and they were judging me. And he's like, I don't care. I just, uh, they love me. And like, I just want to be with my family. It's just mm-hmm. like the, the realizations that some people have on their deathbed of just like, who cared? Who cares about all of that stuff? If you got love in your heart and you're surrounded by people that you love, at the end of the day and we hear that but it's like when you're in the dark you experience it because you lose everything and i'd say forgiveness is another big thing that comes through in the dark uh, i mean there's been a lot of people who have said like i thought i forgive to this person but i didn't realize that uh there's still more and people who have people who have like, oh, this person did me wrong so long ago and I haven't thought about it in 15 years. And it's like all those little pains where we see that we feel hurt and we just, uh, the darkness just moves us to not wanting to feel pain anymore and seeing the areas where we feel it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that like, clearly we all want to be happy and if we really look at a lot of the things that we do in our day to day, a lot of the times it's motivated by trying to distract ourselves from how we feel. Like if we just sat and rested with ourselves, that's why the darkness seems so scary is because like being alone with ourselves is kind of scary because it's something that we don't do and we're not familiar with. But I'd say just about everyone who goes into the dark says it really wasn't scary. And that they felt comforted, comforted and held and in a space where they could allow all those uncomfortable things to be present and no one's telling them that that's not okay and no one's telling them 
this is the way or this is what you're supposed to do. And I think you, you touched on it where I, I see that one of the things that one of the biggest hurdles is people's idea of what it's like when they've finally arrived is the thing that keeps them from actually just arriving. Like when I've arrived, I'm having this vision of being in heaven and just like light pouring out of my eyes and my heart's open and it's overflowing and like I'm feeling ecstatic bliss and everyone thinks I'm amazing or all the different things or I have this thing and that thing. And and then they go into the dark and it's like, you might have a cool experience, but it's going to come and it's going to go. And no one's there to notice you. And so there's a real restructuring of what it's like when we've arrived. And in the dark, the only thing that really lasts that's really attainable is rest and acceptance. And then perhaps love, which is brings it to another level of really feeling deeply what's present and and i think there's this idea that when we've finally arrived and these sages and the saints like experience no pain and that there's right so that we we kind of write off pain as like we're we're off course and we haven't made it whereas perhaps they feel pain but they also are the space that allows the pain to be present and that's what i see the darkness it's like it's like existing with the most enlightened teacher like it's this space that allows all things and all the things that fill it just come and go and so there's a real witnessing of the impermanence because it's when our perspective changes that we change because our external world is constant I think the most powerful type of change is like when nothing changes, but everything has changed. You know what I mm. mean? Like when internally it's all different, but like nothing, like the external world is all the same, but because of those internal changes, everything looks different, even though it's technically the same. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, for me, when I did, I, I tend to go into the darkness once a year. This last year I went in twice, but I'll go in for 10 days. This winter I'm intending to go in for 21 days. But on that note, I guess before I say what I was going to say, I, it's um, longer's not deeper in the dark. And I would say that the people who I've witnessed who have had the most powerful transformations are people who have gone in for three or four days. And what I see of what happens is there's a sweet spot for everyone and it's so different. And so it's hard to really make a clear recommendation, but I'd say three to four days usually feels enough. And I'd say we've never had anyone say that they wish they had more time. Mm. No one's come out and been like, I wish I had more time. And there's been plenty of people who are like, that was like, I hit the mark, right? That was really good. No more. Mm. And so there is... Uh, what I noticed that happens is that in the beginning, people sleep a lot and it varies. Some people might sleep for a day, some people two days. And then once someone really becomes lucid in the space, there's the enjoying of the novelty of being in the dark. And sometimes that lasts for five minutes and sometimes that lasts for the day. And then after that, the novelty wears off 
and people don't know how to fill the space. And so all the uncomfortable feelings, the anxiety, the boredom, the pains, everything arises. And that's when it really begins. And what I've seen from there is if somebody has done too many days, which is different for everyone, that that's like subconsciously how they process it is like, whoa, that's too much. Like I'm uncomfortable and I've got a lot more time in here and there's like a leaning out and they stay in there. But the thing that then kind of the thread that weaves through and informs what they do is a leaning out and a kind of dissociating and a numbing, which we all do all the time in our day to day because the world so life can be really overwhelming. And so they may do their meditation and their chanting and all the different things. But underneath it, it's kind of to distract themselves from falling into that swamp that they see. And then on the flip side, somebody is like, it's uncomfortable. And they're like, I can do this. And I hear them being like, I can do it. And they lean in and they may still do their meditation and their chanting and all the things. But there's just a, there's a different thread. There's a real welcoming Mm. of what's arising. Mm. And one of the things my dark retreat last a year and a half ago, I got caught on uh, wanting to experience my heart in a certain way in my mind. And I wasn't aware of this when I was in the dark because we can fool ourselves or get lost in the subtle ways that we posture uh, in the dark. And that's why it does help to connect with, like have a chat with someone once a day. Like when I go up, I mean, we might chat for a couple minutes, but a little bit goes a long way to just have a moment of perspective to see ourselves through the eyes of someone that we may be chatting with. Um, and I, at times got caught in feeling like my, my heart's going to feel this way when I've arrived, it's going to be overflowing with love. And when I emerged from the dark and was sharing with some friends and reflecting, it became clear that I was overlaying what I thought it would look like when I've arrived. And when I went in my dark retreat this last winter, I, uh, my intention was just to welcome all things. And for me, I have a, a, uh, an extensive meditation practice or used to, um, that's since changed with the darkness and so when I went into the dark, I laid down for 18 hours a day for the 10 days that I was in there because I know that the sitting up in a meditative posture, I tend to control subtly with an intention of feeling a certain way, feeling clear, feeling coherent, connected to whatever it may be. And so I laid down to totally disarm myself and just really bring in whatever was arising and feel it and like meditate on whatever's arising Mm. as opposed to overlaying something to meditate on. I'm very briefly interrupting this episode that I hope that you're enjoying to invite anyone out there who's looking for a coach to work with to get in touch with me. For those of you who aren't aware, I am a three times certified professional life coach working with those just like you who are on the psychedelic path. To learn more about how we can work together to support your psychedelic journey and your journey in this beautiful thing called life, check out the website modernpsychedelics.net slash coaching or just click the link in the show notes. All right. 
back to the episode. amazing how like with both your experience in the darkness and the people that you get to talk to right you have such a perspective on it that probably very very few people on this planet have of understanding the essence of this medicine Mm. and the the power of it and really the the nuances of it and Mm. what what i'm kind of getting from yeah, from hearing you speak on it is there's really this like humbling Mm. effect that it gives us. And it really came together from for me when you were talking about how, you know, people go in and they want to stay for like 10 days or whatever, and then they get humbled and, you know, wish they had stayed shorter. And even it sounds like less really is more, which is in itself very humbling. Right. It's very humbling to the ego, especially for people who do the Vipassana for 10 days and go on like the eight day ayahuasca retreats and, you know, do the hero's journey with mushrooms and take like eight grams of mushrooms. Right. It's like more, more, more. But with the darkness, it it really sounds like less is more is what I'm hearing from you. Less is more. And the nature of the experience um, gives more with less. Mm, yeah that's yeah that's 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 exactly it i mean there was there's a man who came some months ago and uh, definitely the the spiritual warrior type done the vision quests and the vision fasts and like and he came into a cancellation opening and there was there was three days and he was really bummed because he wanted to go in for five or six days and i was like i three days is it's really enough and he's like well i'm gonna fast And I was like, we really don't recommend fasting because it's challenging enough. Like it's the nurture when we feel nurtured and we soften that we really drop into the medicine. This isn't like the hard masculine does not survive in the dark. And (laughs) after after a day, he was humbled and fortunately humbled enough to ask for food where he realized like being nurtured is going to be way more supportive. And when he came out, he was totally floored by how humbled he felt. He's like, oh I've done gosh. this, 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 and this. And he's just like, I was actually totally unprepared. Like all those things that I've done didn't prepare me for this. And that's exactly how I felt when I did my first dark room retreat. I did my first one 10 years ago. And prior to that, I spent a lot of time in solitude. Over the course of six years, I had spent two years out in the mountains in Baja and Mexico for four to five, six months at a time. And so I went in with a spiritual ego and feeling like I know myself alone. I can meditate for eight hours a day. And then I went into the dark and after my first day, I was completely floored. I was like, wow, I actually don't have the tools that I thought I did to exist in this suspended reality. I don't, I would sit and just like sit with the sun first. So I lost all of the reflections that I had, the nature that I would enfold myself with that would help hold me and remind me of those spaces. I no longer had the objects that I was used to meditating on and with. And uh, it was a long journey for me to really 
discover and rest into the medicine in the dark mm-hmm. as um, I'm pretty masculine in nature and softening is not something that comes natural to me. Mm-hmm. And um, the darkness has really brought me into that space where I've begun to find fulfillment in softening and a fulfillment that that just goes beyond anything else that I've experienced, even my meditation practice. Um, nowadays, I exploring not even sitting up to meditate when I have time, I just I lay down and I just rest. And um, that's been more of my practice now is that's what the darkness has shown me to really be something that I can access then throughout my entire day. Like I'd say the darkness has taken my seeking from like a 10 down to like a two because I've become clear in the dark that like when I really touch that thing that just totally consumes me in a sense of feeling at home, it's just through the simplicity of rest. It's not this overwhelming experience. It's not necessarily ecstatic bliss. I mean, it is blissful, but it's it's blissful through being. It's not necessarily this experience. It's like, you know, the eternal the eternalness of being is it's just a different quality that whereas before I I knew that, but I also was grasping after the highs, which I still love. And when I get into them, I definitely notice that I'm still grasping after, after them while I'm in, I love to ecstatically sing and love to go into the darkness in one of our day use dark retreats that we have and just explore that aspect. And yet it's in the softening that I've really found and have seen for others. Uh, for example, there's been people who have come in who are practitioners and do their meditation practice. And when they come out and they share what was that gem that they discovered in there, they say it was when they stopped doing all their practice, when they exhausted it and they just rested. And that's when they found something that they had never found before. Mm. Yeah, it's not to say that that stuff doesn't serve us those practices don't serve us in the world where we're not in the dark and we're managing a lot of stuff and things are going on and like yeah we do need to maybe take a take five minutes to meditate or whatever but it sounds like in the darkness um again less is more but also letting go of those practices and modalities allows you to actually be with the medicine that is the darkness and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because my, so my ayahuasca shamans who I've been working with for three years, very beautiful, humbled women um, doing this work, uh, very grounded, very earthy, you know, not like um, out there type of spirituality, super grounded, super earthy, super human. Um, they always say with ayahuasca in the ceremony, you don't need to journal. You don't need to do yoga. You don't need to do breath work. You don't need to do any of the stuff because it's going to interfere with the ayahuasca. It's going to interfere with the medicine. Just be with the medicine. And I'm seeing some overlap there between that that mm. kind of philosophy and the darkness. So can you talk a little bit about that, about like this idea of like 
how we want to use all these other modalities and practices to avoid what really is and like what's just mm. there for us. Right. Yeah. Um, in those moments where I see people breaking through is when they're just being with what is now, like you said, that's not to say, I mean, meditation and all the practices have their place. And I think they're extremely beneficial and I still, I love to meditate and I think it brings you to the door, but there's still, there's still a sense of control mm -hmm. and which doesn't allow for a lot of subconscious stuff to really open up and to really explore new ground when we've really, when we're think we've got it figured out and we're controlling in the subtle ways that we control, there's, um, there's a contraction because, and, and there's, there's almost a smallness around whatever we're contracting around, whatever we're holding our awareness around as opposed to a dissolving into the space that allows it all. And I think there's in the darkness for some, it becomes clear that like that, which we are is not defined by that, which appears. And so there really becomes this, this true at a core level allowing of whatever's present. It's like if we're feeling a certain way, it's not defining who we are, but in the world it does because we're seeing ourselves through the eyes of others and people are feeling how we're at and then reacting to where we're at. But in the darkness, there's nothing that's reacting to where we're at. So there's uh, everything just softens in there by nature because everything's welcome and nothing's reflecting back to us that it's not welcome. And there's been a handful of, of people who have come who have the capacity to really feel deeply and express uncomfortable emotions or really drop into their grief who have said that they felt like for the first time ever, they were able to really feel however they were feeling and go into it and just really scream and cry as loud as they can and feel like there was no cap on it until it naturally just moved on mm -hmm. because nothing lasts forever. And there's that feeling in there really that it just naturally moves on. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there was a woman who came and after I think two or three days, she decided she wanted to leave and um, she was so happy. She's just like, I've been trying, I've been healing, focusing on healing and doing all these things. And she's just like, I realized this is just not important. Like oh, I saw her I video just, on your Instagram. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. So I just good. need to be with myself and rest. And she's like, I'm going to go be with my kids. I love my kids. Like I've been so focused on healing and not spending time with my kids, but I don't have like any ailment. Like I, it's not like I'm healing from anything. It's just like, I've been told I need to heal. And I do like on some level that is true and like where meditation, all those things are beneficial and there's truth in them. I just think when we don't simultaneously acknowledge that we already are what we want to be and it's more just getting out of our way. Like there's the, the Meister Eckhart saying where he says the soul grows not from addition but from subtraction mm -hmm. like we're always adding these different things but if we just 
stop adding, but then there's the fear that we'll be nobody special and like being somebody is what makes us feel good in the world. And it's amazing in the dark where everyone's on the same level playing field. No one's special. No one cares how great or not great you are in the dark. And uh, it's really an amazing medicine to receive in there where your sense of self is no longer coming from separation Mm -hmm. from the sense of being special and for i mean and it's so deeply ingrained i mean my kids always want to be special always like look at me look at i can do i mean and so there's you know that's our roots are so deep down in having our worth be from being acknowledged or from conquering some task like we've controlled something and conquered something and so in the dark it's this total rewiring of there's not an experience that liberates there's not it's this real just dissolving into the space that that holds it all Mm -hmm. and that allows it all yeah and i imagine that some people would even be very repelled by the idea of that of going into there and being humbled and realizing that like yeah we're all just again back to the human like humility is a core theme that i'm exploring in my life right now thanks to the gene keys Mm. um but yeah this idea that like we're all just equal like i'm not on a pedestal they're not on a pedestal like human to human right Mm. we're not all ready for that because there are many benefits to seeing the world from the opposite perspective, from the perspective of like, yeah, I am special. I am on the pedestal or there's even benefits to seeing other people on the pedestal and aspiring to, you know, get up there to them. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a, there's a young, a young man who came here a few weeks ago. And when he came out, one of the things he said is he's like, I feel like people would actually view me as less spiritual because what I, what happened for me in there was I got a sense of my humanity and my faults and my lack and like, and that's what, and as we chatted more on that, I was like, that's actually like, that that's a doorway into like truth where you actually come to become more intimate with your lack and with your faults and the capacity to speak about them and be able to see them and not have this overlay of just this superior special thing. And it it reminded me of a story of the, uh, this guy who had went to a monastery and was with the Zen monks for a while and the master's there. And afterwards they're like, are you going to stay with us? And he's like, I've been witnessing you guys. And I see all these faults and the way that you eat. And like, you just don't seem like masters to me. And they said, if we didn't have faults, you would think enlightenment wasn't for humans. If we didn't have faults, you wouldn't think enlightenment was for humans. Right. That like that it's, um, you know that state of perfection like that is uh, yes some state of perfection within our within our human nature that there's not like that sadness and like all those things are welcome too yeah yeah Yeah. 
I always say the most spiritual thing we can do is be human. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It really yeah. is like a spirituality, my gosh, especially in the psychedelic space has really turned into this like, you know, like how much can we live in the 5D and ascend and star seeds mm -hmm. and all of that is very, very beautiful. Yes. But at the end of the day, like, yes. Okay. We may come from the stars. Sure. I buy into that. But we live on earth. We live here on earth. Right. Totally. Yeah. And uh, underneath that, like how much does that dis does that create a disconnect from us of really leaning into all that we are like? Are we just grasping for a mind blowing 5D experience, which yeah. has its benefits to show us that there's more than meets the eye? Totally. And yet can we be the space that allows the dregs of life and the dregs of what we are to have a space yeah. and to be also allowed and that's um, the humbleness right knowing that that's the humbleness. all that crazy 5d exists but also realizing that like here i am and this totally. is what the human experience is and all that yeah. it encompasses and I think that's what the dark for me and the practice of really resting and softening and just feeling what's present has translated for me in my day to day more than anything else. When something's arising that I don't like or things aren't going my way, sometimes now I'm able to, when I then can reflect on what do I want, and then I can follow that thread of like, well, if I get this and this, I'll be happy. There's, there's a real clear knowing that actually that's not what really delivers me. It's mm -hmm. when I can just expand a bit more and allow this thing to be present. And, you know, one thing that's really fascinating for me, I mean, there's so many things because when I witness other people in the dark, it's just not my experience and so it, it widens for me the scope of like, wow, this medicine is for so many more people than I thought. We've had people with PTSD come and childhood sexual traumas and I have seen them have so much healing in there because for the first time ever, they feel safe. Like they've never felt safe before and their nervous system relaxes more than it's ever relaxed before. And just that without any additional teaching or teachers it's like they just that's feel safe that's, that's all they, they needed, they needed. and yeah. then they and their nervous systems relaxed and their bodies relaxed and they can process and review things differently wow. and one thing that i also see that happens which just blows my mind is people who don't have much meditation practice the darkness initiates them into stillness where they really that space between thoughts opens up and for the first time ever, they experience a quiet mind without meditation as really, I, sometimes I can't believe that it's, I'm like, that took me like five, <laughs> 10 years of meditation. And like, there was actually somebody who came, he happened to be someone who had clinically diagnosed PTSD and two or three days in the dark. He had, he was in his fifties, just turned on to meditation eight months ago, had done a little breath work, one ayahuasca ceremony before that was totally mainstream. 
And two or three days in the dark, I asked him how he was doing and if he was aware of the space between thoughts. And he's just like, whoa, that's just where I'm existing. And I was like, how does it feel? He's like, it feels really weird. And, and then when he came out, we were talking about it and he's like, my body felt weird and my mind felt weird. Like he had no prior language mm. to talk about stillness because he had never read anything. He had never even heard about it. He didn't even know that was a thing that there's actually space between thoughts. And, um, it was amazing. There's been a handful of people who drop into stillness in these really profound meditative states that take people 10, 15, 20 years of meditating and they just land there because they've, they're not in resistance. They just rest and the mind unfurls. It's not grasping at things that they want and they just, the space between thoughts just grows and it's amazing to witness people reach these states through just resting the simplest thing <laughs> yeah the simplicity is is wow. amazing well i'm i <laughs> it's definitely gonna be an over hour interview <laughs> because <laughs> i mean i'm enjoying talking to you so much and i i'm just looking in front of me here i have all these questions i wanted to ask <laughs> you but instead you know we're just flowing and i'm enjoying yeah. it so much but one thing i really wanted to talk to you about that i think that our community um, is going to be really interested in is this idea of, you know, psychedelics translates to mind manifesting, right? Because psychedelics have this quality about them where they are nonspecific amplifiers and they bring forward um, whatever needs to be brought forward. Um, and we can't predict or understand how that works or how it decides what it'll bring forward, but it, they do that. Um, and I remember I saw a video of quite a young man come out of one of your retreats and he was saying like wow yeah it's crazy in there like if you think the world is bad the world is bad if you think the world is good the world is good if you if you're happy it's happy if you're sad it's sad like whatever you think is true is true in there um and i was like wow wow i flagged that because i was like well that's psychedelics right that's like a very psychedelic uh -huh. experience yeah so can you talk a little bit about mm. that and also i'm really curious to hear so about this mind manifesting quality of the darkness mm. and also just like scott i'm curious about like what have you uncovered about the mind and how the mind works through the darkness mm. yeah those are all great things and one thing that comes to mind and there's been a handful of people who've qualified the darkness as a blank canvas or a blank slate or and that I mean there's one woman she said like the only thing that changed in there was my perspective of how I related with the darkness and um wow there's um where to go so there's in term, one question that I ask people now, and I look forward to making a bigger mashup of like, I ask people to compare plant medicine with the darkness because a lot of people who come um, have done plant medicine or are really deep on the plant medicine path. And a woman who just came, who was actually on the board of the, the psychedelic community in Portland, deep into plant medicine, said that for her, one of the things that became clear was like, plant medicine like blasts her out beyond her surface and that in the darkness she dealt with a lot of her surface 
emotions and things that are that plant medicine just doesn't connect her with because it blasts her out so far that some of the things she that it's not as relatable and what she said and i've heard from others is that like they feel like the darkness retreat like they integrate while it's happening yeah like because they step into new spaces and then there's there's just this time and this soft container to weave in these new discoveries and new ways of being like oh this is now true for me i had this aha like we have on plant medicine but then you have this aha and then you have hour after hour after hour to live it Mm -hmm. and integrate it and really deepen into that truth and really see everything else within us that tells us that that's not true. Like, for example, I mean, when somebody might come on to plant medicine, there's a realization that like, I am love and like, but it's, you know, when, when you have that realization on plant medicine, like you really feel it. Right. And then in the darkness, people have the same thing. I am love. And yet in the darkness, now they have hour after hour without any distraction to see everything inside of themselves that isn't love or that Mm -hmm. they can't love. Mm -hmm. There may be anger and pain. So not that it isn't love, but that they're not able to hold in love. And so there's this real authenticity and truth that unfolds in the darkness because there's no escape there's no bypassing i had this realization i am love here we go it's like whoa i am love and yet i don't love this pain or this i can't forgive this person or you know whatever it may be so there is this integrative aspect in the dark that um is different and sorry I think Scott, the time i'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt oh, go you on. for a second do you, with the integrative piece, do you follow up with yeah. people who attend? And like, is it something that like, mm. you know, months later and like they go into their life and it it's, remains true for them and they are able to continue to stay with that? I th- um, Not as much as I think they would hope. I'd say because they're, you know, it's like having this they have this huge transformation and then they go back to who they were and how people hold them. And sometimes it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, really hold that. I would say that people do feel like they draw on their darkness experience. Like there's, they can't not know once they know. And the knowing in the darkness is so deep because they've lived it moment after moment. So they do reflect that, that, that thread carries through mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, Yeah. there's that. I mean, I'd say for me as well, this last dark retreat, the threads carried forward for me more than anything else that in the past. I think a lot of that really was the the disarming and the letting go of of seeking and grasping for experience and really just returning to the, the softening. And what people find in the dark, which is amazing, is that they've like, I got it. Like they've really landed mm-hmm. in that space that they were always looking for. And then in the dark, the it's like after that, it's just shortening the gaps between forgetting. And do, do you like find there's that, not, do you find that people no, think 
when they, you know, quote unquote, arrive or when they land there, it looks or feel it's so much different than what the expectation oh, yeah. of it was. Because I feel like they I recently that. just yeah. got there after a mm. ayahuasca ceremony. But keep in mind, I have been working with ayahuasca for three years and I just got what I've been looking for. Mm. And there was a ceremony where the healing, the major healing happened. And then the second one, the next day was what you were just describing, just sitting in it, just sitting in that new state of being and integrating it. And that's the first time in all my psychedelic experiences that the integration happened in the experience. Mm, And that was three years of ayahuasca work integrating in that experience. And it sounds like mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens in the darkness. Um, so uh, where was I going to go with, with that? Um, We're talking about the integration or after people after. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the arriving, the arriving. Right. So this happened about six weeks ago, I would say. And there's always this period of time that's like, okay, is this for real? Like, is this really what life gets to be like now? Like, is this, is this going to stay? Right. And it's been this period. And I feel like I just recently came to this point of like, yeah, wow, no, this is this is it. Like I'm on the other side right now. And it is not what I thought it would be. Like Mm. it is so not what I thought it would be at all. And I think it's kind of like what you were talking about before, like the you expect this like blasting open and this like living in the 5D and like all this stuff and it's just so far from the reality mm. of it when it happens totally do, yeah do your yeah. guests I, have that similar experience definitely what they imagined it was gonna look like is just yeah it, it's not that yeah it's it's far it's simpler it's uh there's a simplicity to it that they didn't really comprehend prior and I mean, and that simplicity opens up to just being so profound and deep, but it's like that door was simplicity and the simplicity carries on. And, you know, people have visionary experiences in there, you know, to continue on the thread of the psychedelics and like the mind really manifesting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting as it's not the first thing that people talk about when they emerge. Like I actually have to ask about it because, and then people say, and they're just like mind blowing things that have happened to them. But the, in the scope of eternity, they kind of like, it's just not that important. And it wasn't the thing that liberated them. It wasn't like, wow, I had this really amazing experience. Like it's, it's just not, because it comes and it goes and then they're back in this like eternal void where they're suspended in space. And so there's, I mean, but people have definitely talked about, I mean, there's from like little lights and orbs and glowing lights that I'd say most people experience. And then there's some, God, somebody came out a couple weeks ago and they said they felt like they were sitting in front of the sun. Like they're like, it was that bright and that warm Um, but then they said it, that actually just, they didn't like, it was distracting them. Like these far out visions that people think that he even thought would be really cool to have. 
at a certain point, he's like, I wanted it to go. He's like, I even put on my mindfold because I thought that would, for some <laughs> reason, make it go away. <laughs> and it was funny because a week later, the, somebody else said that they, they went to go put on their mindfold to make the vision go away because it was just distracting. Like that that those things Did it work? actually no it didn't Probably work not, yeah no. i mean it didn't people who said they have these th- these visions like they're like i close my eyes and then i open them and it's the same like yeah. it, eyes closed eyes open the vision's happening and wow. so it's interesting to hear a lot of people's stories and some people share them with delight they're like it was amazing i, I felt like i was like seeing the i was under like a starry night and um all these different things and um but a lot of people it's interesting like the way that they share them it's uh they really feel like they've landed in the arising and the passing that there's not there's people don't put sig no one shares it with great significance i mean they might be like this was a significant vision i saw it but it's not the thing that really like delivered them to that truth that they discovered prior Fascinating. Um, and some people have had really big visions in there where they um, were like it was like IMAX theater projections and there's there's been a few not that many but some people have had that extensive of visions and still even them that it's not they're not sharing it with like this was it mm-hmm. and you know it's it has a different kind of flavor mm-hmm. when someone's suspended in the the darkness for so long yeah it doesn't really stand out as that significant um i'd say the dreams are a really interesting phenomena in the dark i mean there's a lot of people who come and they're like i never dream and i had vivid dreams every night or people who dream and they're like my dreams were even crazier and the dreams are really like the only like escape from the constant in there it's like i mean i i get excited when i get to go to sleep because it's like i get to have a little adventure like something's going to happen i get to do something in my dream and um, a lot of people find that the dream and the waking state gets blurred for them like they're almost not sure are they dreaming or are they just in the room and it's um yeah the dreams become really fascinating in there Mm -hmm. wow Again, with the humbling, right? With psychedelics. Yeah. And we're just like, the visions and the things I saw in the darkness. It's just like, yeah, it kind of happened. <laughs> um, yeah, it happened. It was really cool. And then it left and I was back to, you know, either being miserable or feeling rested. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And I want to ask, so I'm not the expert in this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the theory is that the endogenous DMT gets released after about day three or four, but we don't really know, like it hasn't really been proven that we even can produce endogenous DMT, right? Yeah, that's my understanding as well. I mean, we're, we recently got an EEG and we're working with, um, some various people to set up some studies and do some tests to actually see, yeah, what's happening. Well, various uh, people I saw on your website processes. that you're actually working with the Beckley Institute to do some the Beckley. Well, we had reached out to the Psychedelic Research Center in, um, yep, in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. And so, oh, yeah, hey, there's Beckley, some various people a, that we've been trying to pull in. That's a big deal. Congrats. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. So, Tell us about that. What are you, what are you wanting to learn? What are you wanting to gain from that? Yeah. 
Well, um, just curious if we can isolate some of the precursors to DMT mm-hmm. and see if we could then show that endogenous DMT is being secreted. And to also explore like uh, Montak Chia, who is kind of really kicked off the modern resurgence in dark retreats, mm. I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago. He does really tryptophan rich foods in the beginning, which helps with the whole neurochemical process that he ah. sees that then moves into the the DMT. Um, so like, is there foods that lend themselves to that? And yeah, various things like that of just isolating different things and mm-hmm. really exploring is DMT being secreted. Yeah. And it was something that I was a little more excited about um, maybe last year. And I've become a little less excited as I wit to not really highlight that because what I've seen is that whether it happens or not, it actually now witnessing what's happening, that it doesn't matter Um, because there's these profound experiences happening. And if people went in wanting a DMT experience, which some people most certainly do, that there's kind of, there's a letdown because there's not one experience that liberates and, um, yeah, swirling in sacred geometry is really cool and it has its benefits, but like, you're not going to spiral in it for an eternity. So like the real medicine is that in the dark is like, can we, how do we connect with a space where we can truly rest into an eternity Mm -hmm. with whatever is arising and passing in that space. And then of course, taking that out into the day-to-day life is a whole nother experience, but being in the darkness allows us to at least get familiar with that space and for it to be more easily accessible. And then we could take it out and fill the space with more things like being in the world and uh, yeah, have a real strong connection with, being the space that holds it all. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding, most people shouldn't expect to have these visionary experiences. Yeah. I have done a lot of 10 days and I hardly have much of, I might mm-hmm. see the, like a glowing orb or a light and my visionary experiences aren't really that much in there. I'd say most people don't have these full blown mm-hmm visionary experiences and you know like we shared the people that do it's not it doesn't make them have any more of a transformational experience than others and some people i mean a lot of people find them distracting you know there's there's i've i've heard that recently from a few different people that they actually they found it distracting like they just really want it yeah that was what one person said is like it just wasn't going away and they're trying to sleep and some people have auditory hallucinations that's Mm -hmm. that's a thing as well Uh, i haven't heard that as much but some people have talked about that okay okay i'm gonna start winding this down and i actually want to end with where i start most podcast interviews i want to hear a little bit about your story um i want to hear a little bit about how you got into this like who was scott before the darkness who is scott after um, I have a friend, Julian, who I plan on coming to Sky Cave with one day. We just are absolutely looking forward to the experience. And 
he really wants to know, and I promised him I would ask you about your journey of letting go of the ecstatic bliss and into the darkness. And just, I want to hear about that journey of like releasing the attachments to like what it was supposed to look like. So maybe you can take like, I don't know, Mm. like five minutes and tell us about your journey, about who is Scott before and after. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess first I'd, I'd say that that releasing to the ecstatic states is it's still an ongoing an ongoing experience um i would say that it becomes a little more subtle for me of like the releasing of the states um but then i'll I'll get back into that but to go back um psychedelics was definitely a catalyst for me in my first awakening um when I was 16 or 17 and I had mushrooms for the first time and I had the experience of like, wow, I'm happy. Like my nature is happy. I don't have anything right now. I'm just walking down the street at on the beach and I'm just, I'm ecstatic. Um, and so that was the first time that I realized that I didn't need anything to be happy. And there was a few other psychedelic journeys that where I deepened into that of just breathing and realizing that, I didn't need much to be happy. And that really pushed me into the meditative path and Ram Das and all those doors that then opened from there. And I began, began spending a lot of time alone. Um, and I spent the next eight years pretty much uh, living outside, um, 11 months out of the year. I'd work for four to six weeks and make enough money to live for the rest of the 11 months. No phone, no, very simply. And I spent a lot of time in Baja, Mexico for five to six months and Mount Shasta and living outside. And at that time, uh, my spiritual orientation was ecstatic bliss. That was really all that I was interested in. It was all that mattered. And to me, that's like when you've arrived, you were like, I loved the Sufis and Hafiz and Rumi and um, yeah, other ecstatic mystics and saints, Ramakrishna. And those were who I looked up to and in my mind, what it looked like when you've arrived. And so my time in solitude was mostly spent doing a lot of Osho dynamic meditations where there's like vigorous breathing out your nose and screaming and shaking. And like when I'd get tired, I'd jump in the cold water and start doing it again and praising. And like those were and affirmations. And that was really, that was all I wanted. And I was able to maintain it fairly well when I was alone. And then in the world, I didn't really fit in very well. The cops would be called a lot uh, because there's this crazy guy like waltzing through the city or the the woods or whatever it may be. Um, and there was a moment I would go see Amachi in um, San Francisco. And there was this elder woman there that uh, at the end, I would just go to be with her. And I was sitting up in the hills with her. And she was just like, look at you. You're just, you're dressed in rags. And you're just singing and screaming and praising God, waltzing around here. No one relates to you. And you're not really actually of any service. Like you think you are because you're really righteously doing what you think is the way, but no one's connecting with you. She said, go put on some nice clothes, mellow out a little bit, and then maybe do those crazy things, but connect with people first. And so that was the beginning of tempering 
my expression and I feel like I lost my my innocence though as that happened or my self I became self-conscious again whereas prior I think I had spent so much time alone and I was so deeply rooted in how I was that I just didn't care to to fit in and um really even connect if we weren't singing or dancing we weren't talking it was like that was really it uh so that was the beginning of starting to lean into other ways of being and then having to find comfort in not just screaming and dancing wildly and um so i began to i remember for the first time when i went back off into the woods when i started to embrace like the qualities of like peace and i was just like wow that was kind of like almost like a word that made me cringe before because it didn't really fit into how i was orienting um and i went out to uh Crestone, colorado i spent a few years there to be with some teachers and I began to get more grounded, take on more responsibilities. And um, I did my first dark retreat right before I went out there. And I'm still overlaying my really male-dominated ways in the dark. It didn't really work for me that well. And there were times where I started to see that like rest was the way and that there was actually a lot more, um, a lot more power in softness. And my teacher in Colorado, one of the things he had said was that that really struck with me was that softness has the power to blend with all of life. And um, that's something that I've definitely seen in the dark, that when I am soft, when I am nothing, I can be everything. And it doesn't really matter what I am. It's just, uh, I am the softness that is blending with whatever's present. Um, not all the time in my day to day, but certainly in the darkness, I can, I'm more apt to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the darkness really began to soften me and my interest in exploring the more yin side started to really, uh, become a necessity as I felt like I had no way of interacting and engaging in the world prior to how I did before. And I've, I think at this point done maybe six or seven dark retreats. I've done two with my wife. Uh, the, actually the very first one I did was with her. And then a few months later I did one solo and then it was 10 years and we actually did one together, um, this spring. And, um, the darkness has really uh, softened me and cut my seeking down. And there's still lots of subtle ways that I find that I grasp in the darkness. Um, And sometimes I don't see it until I get out and I have perspective and I can share with someone and see that there's just the different real nuances of like how I hold on to being somebody and just having some kind of subtle thread of control Mm -hmm. and at times not just fully resting in the stillness Mm -hmm. in the dark and being with people in the dark has really supporting people has really been profound of um 
really releasing my agenda and meeting people where they're at and just being being a support and just asking questions and allowing people to take themselves on their own journey. I mean, the darkness does it all. And uh, just being there as a reflection, like, and seeing how powerful just a little support goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, my last time I went in the dark, when I go in, I bring in all the food that I need so that I don't have someone coming up every day and keeping track of the time. And so I totally get lost in the eternalness of it. Um, but I'll have someone come up halfway through. So this last year I was in for 10 days and uh, had my wife came up five days in. And at that point I was ex- really curious and exploring supporting people more in the dark. And so I asked her to come in and uh, we laid together in bed. We didn't talk. And prior to that, I had a reoccurring fear come up while I was in the dark, maybe for 10, 15 minutes, a few times a day that would kind of level me. It was a fear of failing at what I was doing in life and being a failure. And prior to going into the dark, if you had asked me if I had a fear of failing, I would say definitely not. I'm not afraid of failing. But uh, it became very clear that I did. And she came up, and when we were just laying in bed, that fear arose again, and I was able to see through her eyes with her there that if I failed, I was I was still loved, and it wouldn't really matter. Life would go on. I would fail, and like we'd continue, and love would be present. And she left. We didn't talk, and that was it. The next day came, and that same fear arose, and it was like it had no power. I was just like, at like an experiential level, it was like it's okay if that happens. And I feel like that's what people get in the dark. Like all these fears, everything arises and it's like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like if it happens, I'm still here. And at the core, I want to be happy. And like, and that choice becomes really apparent in the dark. And so, yeah, for me, it's been a, a, a constant softening um and arresting and then which i've become really good at doing in the dark translating that into my day-to-day has been a whole nother a practice and i'd say one thing in the dark that becomes unavoidable like that that young man had shared of like becoming really clear where we're not where our faults are where we lack and like seeing the subtle ways that I attach to stillness. Um, One of the people who I work with here who holds the darker treats with us, I was reflecting, I enjoy cannabis and every maybe once a week smoking and just exploring within that. And I was reflecting with her that when I smoke, I see that my mind, that thoughts just move a lot faster than normal. And like, I'm used to resting in stillness, but when I smoke, it's, it's a lot harder. And she asked me why I was, why I thought stillness was better than thoughts. And in that moment, I realized that, um, because I feel like stillness is a high spiritual achievement. Mm -hmm. And I realized that in that moment that, um, I was stuck on that. And because of that, I could see how I had resistance to chaos in my life because I want stillness. And I think that that's a high spiritual achievement. And then how that translates to where I have resistance 
in my house. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And so I live in the chaos of kids, which is completely chaotic. And, um, and leaning into seeing that I have a strong preference for peace now and calmness and clarity. And like, those are qualities that I've become attached to and that prior I was not aware that that was a thing and beginning to explore, for example, one short thing and then I'll wrap it up was like last week, there was that moment where my kids were driving me nuts and pushed me over my edge and where prior I would have gotten up and tried to do whatever I could to get them to stop whining and doing what they're doing. And I had a moment where I was like, I fortunately something arose and I was able to expand and create a little bit of space and was able to witness myself cringing and contracting and being angry with what's happening without reacting. And I'd say normally I'm not able to do that, but in that moment and not judging that I was angry or cringing, like there was just like, this is what's happening in the space. And I feel like that's one thing that the darkness has begun to allow me to do is allow myself to cringe and contract and be angry and sad and simultaneously be the space that it exists in. Yeah. So good. So good. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I could, we could continue this, but for the sake of <laughs> it being an hour and a half in, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, Scott. Wow. Um, it's been such a joy to speak with you. I mean, yeah, so nice. you too, Lana. I look forward to being here with you at some point. Yeah, I'm definitely going to come come visit with my friend one day. I'm deeply, deeply called to experience this darkness retreat now that I'm not so afraid of it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, so you guys have a beautiful website that everyone should go check out. Um, and the center looks just, oh my gosh, so earthy and grounded and like elemental. So can you tell people about how they can uh, find you, how they can connect with you, if they want to come for a retreat? Um, yeah, yeah, let people know. Yeah, so the website is skycaveretreats.com. The Instagram is uh, skycaveretreats. Um, yeah, we're out here in Southern Oregon. We have three dark retreats, and we are in the process of building a few more starting this winter or spring. I think you're going to need more. Yeah, <laughs> I think people are gonna want to start uh, coming to see you and experience this because wow, yeah, like I said, I, I like never have people <laughs> on um, who have retreat centers, but there's just such a, a like a humbleness, a groundedness, and um, yeah, there's just something about this conversation that I felt like had to be shared because I think that mm. a lot of people are really gonna benefit from this very humble approach to exploring their spirituality and themselves and i really think that's needed especially as psychedelics are becoming very mainstream and they're um you know leading people down um a bit of a narcissistic path we're seeing that mm. um 
you know, they're non-specific amplifiers. You give someone who has narcissistic tendencies to, you give someone who with narcissistic tendencies uh, psychedelics, they're going to continue down that path and then, you know, lead others with them. So that's why I felt like it was very, very important to talk to you today and share some of these messages. So thank you mm. so much. Yeah. On that note, there's, there's one quote that I, you know, by uh, Choi Kim Trungpa, he says that, um, you know, there's so much self-deception on the path the ego is always trying to achieve spirituality. It's like trying to witness your own funeral, right? Mm -hmm. That at the end, when we've really arrived, there's no self or specialness, or it's like you can't be there to really see yourself arrive. There's, yeah. it's the different space that opens up. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you Beautiful. for that. Beautiful, thanks, Lana. Thank you, everyone. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Check out their work. Check out their Instagram, their website. And um, yeah, if you feel called, maybe reach out. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks, Lana. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. If you haven't already, come join the ongoing conversation over on Instagram with other beautiful souls. We have a pretty incredible and conscious community over at the handle Modern Psychedelics. Hope to see you there. If this episode sparked something within, please let me know by leaving a review of the Modern Psychedelics podcast on Apple and a five-star rating on Spotify. This really helps to share these messages with those who need them. And that's really the whole reason why I do what I do. So it's greatly, greatly appreciated. And don't forget that the work begins after you come back down to earth. And I'm standing here shoulder to shoulder doing it with you. Catch you in the next episode. Bye.